you will never, ever get to belong. This is a group of which you will never be a part. You're simply not good enough. In fact, there's a whole bunch of groups where you will not be accepted. Agatha Christie grew up wanting to be called Lady Agatha. She tried to get some people to call her that when she was young. They dumped a lot of rain on her parade. (laughs) She said in her autobiography that all the cold, hard truths of life crashed in on her at that moment when she knew she would never be able to be called Lady Anything. She was not royalty. She was not born to it and never would be. For a young man born with poor eyesight, no matter what other talents he might have, he will never, ever be a baseball star. Or an Air Force pilot. Or a... I'm not. If you're born with DNA that says you're 5'8", nothing will make you 6'8 and a basketball star. It is not happening. (laughs) You cannot be a part of that club. Most young women quickly realize they will never be Miss America. Or even a cheerleader. You don't get to be a part of that group. And perhaps a worse fate awaits her. What if she never gets to be a part of that group that is loved? What if she is excluded from motherhood? You cannot be a part of that. Ever. You are not born to it. Hindu religion teaches that you are born into a certain caste. You'd say you're cast into a certain life form. And if you happen to be cast into the lowest, you have no rights whatsoever. Seriously, if you're raped or murdered, no one will care or do anything about it. You were born into the station you're in because you deserve it. And the Buddhists agree. You are born with karma from your previous lives. And you cannot escape the evil that will come to you because of what you did in those past lives. Hmm. Well, what if you decide to embrace the teachings of Mohammed? You will always be a second-class worshiper of Allah, for you were not born to it. You can never be a true Muslim. But what about the real God? Certainly the God of all the universe would never do anything like this, right? Right? The true God, the creator of all things, would never exclude anyone, would he? Well, for a certain lame man sitting outside the temple begging, the answer seemed to be yes. God would exclude him. He knew full well that David, speaking of the house of the Lord, said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And if you were born a Jew of Jews, the priestly family, you would not be good enough if you were lame. God said to Moses, speak to Aaron, saying none of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near, or a man blind or lame or... And the list of shortcomings that exclude a man goes on, but a lame man need hear no more. And what did our lame man hear 
you are excluded. You're not welcome here. You will never, ever be allowed to be a part of us. A part of this. You are an outcast. This was not a momentary rejection. We've, we've all suffered that and it's painful enough. But this, this is being near and never entering in. This was his life. Decades of deep desire that were never fulfilled. Years of loving God and knowing God is love and yet never getting to express that love or experience that love as others do. Years and years of being a dependent, being a cast-off, being given the cast-off of others, brought close every day, but never getting to enter in. Begging your life away, begging for money, which barely matched your real poverty, for you are truly begging for acceptance, acceptance of men, Acceptance by God. So flowed the life of a poor, lame beggar in Jerusalem some 19 and three-quarter centuries ago. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter and John were going up to the temple, something he had never been allowed to do. But Jewish teachers of the day did teach that charity was one of the three pillars of the faith, along with the study of scriptures and worship of God. These three were the pillars of the faith. So this produced the only way a lame man could contribute to his own upkeep. So he cried out to everyone who passed by, alms, alms. What made him keep going? Did he have any hope beyond just living? Did he apply to himself the promise God made way back in Moses' time? The one he made to those excluded priests? The one must not enter in. He may eat the bread of his God. Somehow, even for a man such as him, there was some small way in which he could participate in the love of God, the worship of God. You suppose he had heard of Jesus? Did he know of the miracles? Had he imagined that perhaps Jesus would pass by and heal him? Did this hope die with Jesus? Was his cry for alms bereft of hope? Was it hollow? Perhaps he could not even lift his eyes to look at Peter and John until Peter told him to. But into this hopelessness... <laughs> would spring the living hope. His empty life would soon be filled with the creator of the universe. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. If he had ever had a hope for healing, probably gone. Now he hoped only for survival. You know what he thought when Peter spoke those words to him? Why don't you two just throw your coins in my lap like everyone else? Why make me look your way? Perhaps his thoughts went another way. Are they going to do something special? Some did. But most who did do something special expected him to make a big show of thanks to make sure everyone else knew what they had done. Did he have bitter thoughts towards those self-absorbed individuals who really gave for themselves 
rather than to help him. Whatever his thoughts were, they were about to be disrupted gloriously. (laughs) For before him were two men who understood. They remembered a blind man that they had wondered about. He was sitting by the side of the road, just like the lame man. All the same exclusions the lame man lived with applied to him too. Back then, they had asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus, there's a reason this guy's blind. Who's responsible here? Somebody did something wrong, and that's why he's blind, right? Sounds very much like the Hindus and the Buddhists, doesn't it? And God can't have anything to do with it, right? Well, in in one way, that's true. But God did allow this to happen. Nothing happens to anyone that God does not author or allow. Now, that's not to say people don't sin. They do. (laughs) We all do. The answer to the question, why do bad things happen to good people, is they don't. (laughs) There's no such thing as a good person, an absolutely good person. Of course, unless you're talking about Jesus. He's the only one to ever live a perfect, sinless life. Plenty of bad happened to him. And that's important. We'll get back to it. The point here is that bad things happen to people who did nothing to deserve that particular bad thing. Jesus corrected the disciples back then. He needed to show them that everything has a reason. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So in Jerusalem, looking at the lame man, Peter and John knew what he did not. God had not rejected him. In fact, God had specifically selected him. What seemed a terrible curse to men would burst forth into a demonstration of the glory of God. This poor, lame man God would make to be a bright, shining light of his. This man, whom almost all men thought worth next to nothing, who they believed wasn't good enough to be a part of their worship, was in fact a member of a most exclusive club. He was one of those who would demonstrate the glory of God by a miracle done on him. He couldn't even look at Peter, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I'd love to see the look. I've seen the look on that lame man's face. Can you imagine? (laughs) His brain must have been exploding with thoughts. I don't think he could pick one out. I think he froze. So Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Do you not find this amazing? Peter grabbed the hand of a lame man and pulled him up. Are you hearing this? What do you think is going to happen, Peter? The man's going to fall on his face. No. Peter understood God's plan. Well, enough of his plan to know that God was going to heal the man. And did you notice the amazing sequence? Peter pulled him up before he was given strength to stand. I think maybe we need to pull people up before they have the strength to believe. In sales, it's called the assumption close. I was taught this when I was young. Maybe you had somebody do it to you. Okay, let's assume a good guy's helping you. He thinks you should purchase the product and you're able to, so he just continues as if you are. What do you think, red or green? You want the small carrying case with that or the big one that holds all the accessories? And then, without you ever actually saying you're going to buy it, 
he starts writing it up. You know, <laughs> Hopefully, for you and not for themselves, they are pulling you to your feet before you can even stand. Maybe, sometimes, and when we're really read up in Scriptures and prayed up, you know, thoroughly, that kind of... We might just know someone's going to become a believer. That person, they're going to become a believer. And maybe there's some that we should start treating them as if their salvation is inevitable. Just start just expecting it. This won't work if they won't believe. They'll just fall on their faces and when you pull them up and, and bang noses, generally get out of joint. So know you know God's will. Pray for them a lot before you do this. Maybe they will believe. Maybe they will join us. And if they do believe, what can you expect? And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I mean, he knew. He knew God had gone beyond just making him acceptable. He'd gone way beyond that. Our lame man now knew what Peter and John understood. He was specially chosen by God. All his suffering had a purpose. So he didn't just walk into church. And remember, that alone would have been amazing to him, to everyone. But something great was happening. So he leapt in the air to praise God. When was the last time we were so excited about what God was doing in our lives that we jumped up and down? <laughs> well, let me ask it this way. If a man can suffer a lifetime of humiliation, limitation, and rejection, and yet leap with joy when God's plan is revealed to him, can we not look forward to God's purpose in our pain? Can we not join James and count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds? I wonder what would happen if we did. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him recognized him. He went from being ignored to being the object of awe. He was used to show the glory of God. All the pain in his life was worth this moment. But don't miss this. If he had not suffered, if they had not known that he was an outcast, it would have meant nothing to them. All that very public pain was a necessary part of the glory that now went to God. He went from deep pain, deeper than any we're likely to know, to joy that swelled up within him. Maybe it's true, the greater the pain, the greater the joy, once God's glory is finally revealed. Because of the pain that man suffered for a lifetime, and the joy that followed it, many people saw the glory of God. And they turned from their sins to worship and serve the living God. So, are we willing to suffer even enormous pain so that God's glory can be shown the more clearly in us? God himself was. In his book, Jesus Among Other Gods, great read if you haven't read it, Ravi Zacharias, talking about pain and suffering, quotes Malcolm Muggeridge, 
Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness, whether pursued or attained. This, of course, is what the cross signifies. And it is the cross, more than anything else, that has called me inexorably to Christ. One of the greatest thinkers of our age, who came to Christ late in life with great difficulty and very publicly, understood what our, no longer lame, friend now grasped. God entered into his pain. We don't have a complete understanding of why God allows pain and rejection in our lives. But we do know this. God, in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ, chose to suffer pain and rejection just as we do. More than we do. When we suffer, it would be good to remember that Jesus Christ has chosen us to be in a very exclusive group one of which he is a member. And the head, his church, his body, his building, his family. Not not because of any great thing in us, but because of his great goodness. The very pain and rejection Christ suffered on the cross made possible our entry into his church. And we must remember that the very pain and rejection that we suffer will burst forth into a flame bright with God's glory. Every believer is a member of a very exclusive club. Every one of us has benefited by the death and resurrection of Jesus, the only good person to suffer bad things, which he did for us so that we might bring him glory. Was the pain worth it? Was his pain worth it? Is our pain worth it? If we know God will take our hands and pull us to our feet someday, maybe even in this life, then the joy that we know we will experience might just spill over onto today, even in the midst of the pain. It's an extra thought for you. You ever wished you could have been there when Peter pulled the lame man to his feet? Just watch it. Would that not have been cool? Have you wished you could have seen Jesus do miracles? What if you could have been one of the twelve apostles? Wow! But we weren't born to it. Think you've missed out on a great thing? Well, you have. (laughs) Yes, you did. It would have been great to be there. But earlier, after another apostle, Thomas, fell at Jesus' feet and proclaimed, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are we because we have not seen and yet we believe. Maybe our not seeing Jesus in his first advent makes us an even more exclusive group. (laughs) 
<laughs> and whether or not it's true, every believer is a member of a very exclusive club. We are those through whom the glory of God will be demonstrated. Okay, let's go back. Back to when our brother was still lame. Why did God exclude him or anyone with the slightest blemish from participation in temple worship? I mean, really, why? To show his holiness, his perfection. It's perfect. And we can never draw near to a perfect God unless we're perfect. Which we can never attain by any effort of our own. So, why did God heal the lame man? Which allowed him to worship in the temple. Which removed the rejection. Made him a part of the people of God. No longer an outcast. Well, that's easy. To demonstrate that he drew near to us. It cost him very great pain and rejection. But he went through it for us. So that his perfection could be transferred to us. While our blemishes, our sin, he took on himself. Can we not bring him glory by suffering a little pain and rejection until he gives us our new lives? And he will give us all new lives. The very Peter who grasped a lame man's hand and pulled him to his feet wrote, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice. All our pain, all our pain, will be washed away in the flood of perfection he will pour on us. Our rejection will dissolve in the acceptance of the one who suffered the ultimate rejection. In that moment, all who believe and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior will leap with joy as we enter that place where there is no temple because God himself will be with us. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things will have passed away. Those words were written down by the other apostle standing over that lame man. A lame man who didn't know his life had a great purpose. How many people get to have their story in the Bible? I mean, come on. (laughs) It's a great thing. The whole time he was suffering, since birth he was an outcast, he didn't know. But when he did understand, it was all okay. Probably you don't do this. But when I'm alone with just God, sometimes I kind of whine and complain. (laughs) And he usually says something like, can't you take the pain when you know it'll all bring me glory? Look at the blind man, Malcolm Muggeridge, all the saints down through the age. Rejoice! 
I didn't get to be an Air Force pilot. That's my, that was my goal when I was a kid. That's all I wanted to be. Never got to be. We might not have been cheerleaders or football heroes, but maybe, just maybe, we're something more special. <laughs> and maybe we'll find that all the pain does nothing compared to the glory that we will see. Leap for joy? Yeah. That will be us. Let's pray. Father, how do we thank you? You did everything for us. A picture of the lame man who couldn't understand. Why me? Why am I the guy sitting here and never getting to go into the temple? Watching everybody else go in and I can't. Why me? Why me? Why me? In fact, the answer was, why you? Wow. Why didn't the rest of the people get to be you? <laughs> that was the real question. But he didn't know it until it happened. And then when he saw what you had done and the wonder that you had done, he couldn't stand it. He just had to leap and jump in the air and everybody saw him and said, wait a minute. Wow. I don't know if we want to be lame just so we can do that. I don't know if we want terrible things to happen to us just so we can show people how great you are, but maybe what you have given us, we can tell people, don't you worry. Don't you worry. God's going to do something. I'm not sure what it is, but whatever it is, God is there. And he cares for us. And he's going to make it not just okay, not just acceptable. He's going to turn everything on its head and make it amazing. Thank you, Father, that we can have that promise. Everything in our lives, everything in our lives can be turned around to show your glory. I don't know how we get to be a part of it or why we get to be a part of it, but we're thankful we do and we want to do the best we can. Help us, Lord, to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.